Hi, hello and welcome to another episode of, of course, China. I'm Fernando and I'm Ziv. And today we are with Jerry Gray and his wife. And welcome guys to the show. Thanks very much for having us. Um, well, tell us a little bit about Jerry, Ziv. Yeah, Jerry uh, is a British-born uh, Australian citizen. Yep. He came to China in 2004. He's been doing different kind of things, teaching, um, he did some freelance writing, right? Stuff like that. And recently, uh, you've been up in the internet news, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after you did a trip, actually, you did a, f- a few trips to mm. Xinjiang, um, talking about uh, the issues that are online, you know, these days uh, about Xinjiang, giving uh, another perspective. Is that correct? Yeah, just giving some personal observations. I'm not trying to tell anybody they're wrong or tell anybody that they're right, but just tell what I saw. Right. Mm. So how, how did it, uh, uh, why did you go to Xinjiang? Start from that. Um, if we're talking about the most recent trip, it was really a continuation of something I did before. In 2014, I rode a bike from Guangdong to Xinjiang and we flew home. Uh, so I really had this kind of unfulfilled sense I wanted to do the return journey. You know, if you're going to go across China, you might as well come back again. <laughs> um, and that was it. And the reason for riding the bike, one real reason was to lose a bit of weight. I wanted to see a bit of China. And we linked the bike ride to a charity that we're involved in. So we got some coverage locally in Zhongshan and we raised uh, about 300,000, 200 and something, oh, wow. nearly 300,000 RMB. Yeah. yeah, we raised quite a lot of money. Because of the trip? Like um, The trip really was, it gave it awareness, I think, more yeah. than anything else. We had a, a function when we got back right. and auctioned off some gear and got some other people involved. Uh, and yeah, it was really, the, the, the money wasn't sponsored money for, you know, like you do a sponsored walk when you're a kid and you might do 10 right. miles and someone gives you X amount of dollars. It was not that. It was when we got back, people said, you know, that's a great job. You know, we'll come to your party. We had a, a reunion party and uh, we sold some things off and we actually created a book that we sold for charity. Got oh, a couple wow. of books for you before we finished this. That's nice. Um, and, and yeah, the, the next year, Anne did something even more spectacular. She actually walked from? From Zhongshan to Beijing. You walked, you walked? from Zhongshan to Beijing? Yeah. yeah. Wow, I know someone who walked from Shenzhen to Guangzhou, but this is like... It's quite a long walk. Yes. <laughs> Why? Why did you do that? Also well, for charity? Yeah, yes. Yes, this is for the charity that we uh, set up, uh, but also because the major reason because he did the bike ride the year before, so that um, as his wife, I should do something that catch catch up. To you top know? it off. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, wow. So I, I and, and we had a little bit of a competition because she raised four hundred thousand. <laughs> she raised oh, more wow. money and was apologetic about that. What was wow. the year? Sorry, uh, two thousand fifteen. Uh, we can do a whole podcast just on that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we get back to How this. How long did it take you? Four and a half months. Four and a half months. So you started in, in spring? In, no, actually in winter. In yeah, winter. Chinese I finished uh, wow. uh, February and finished in June. So you celebrated Chinese New Year on the road? Yes, yes. Wow. Yeah. Did you film it? Did you did you have video? Did no, we, we had pictures and uh, some videos, but not like him. Uh, right. had a book. We right. didn't. Right. Did wow. He has a sponsor. <laughs> That's remarkable. That's remarkable. <laughs> what's, what's the charity? Who do you give? Uh... It's a, a disabled charity. Uh, it, it's changed forms. Uh, basically, when we started doing this, it was just um, actually started by accident. We, we set up a, an organization 
to have a Christmas, not an organization, just a group of us to have a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And it got bigger and bigger and out of control. And we said, look, you know, this is crazy. Let's, let's rent a venue. Let's get catering. Let's do this and then charge people an entry. But we didn't want to make any money. So I said, well, when we've finished with this, we'll, we'll just donate whatever profit we make to a charity. And that was a really difficult thing to do. Yes. I know that you've had some trouble. This experience. is a similar story to our charity. It started yeah. also with Christmas. Yes, it, it, starts, yeah. it starts as a mistake, yeah. basically. Uh, and what happened then was uh, we found we, we raised 10,000, but the police, the government, not the police, the administrative authorities, were a little uncomfortable because they weren't sure what we were going to do with the money, I think. They, there is a little bit of trust issues there going on. What are these foreigners doing? And then we got the Jongsan Youth Association involved in that, and they used the money. And then they said to us, well, what are you going to do next year? And that's how it evolved. And so we just kept going. And, and that was, say, 2005? 2005. December 2005. Same? Same oh, year for December us. December the 3rd. December 2005. Oh, and same. you know what we did? We got money. And I remember I still have pictures of us going to Walmart, using the money to buy diapers and mm-hmm. food. And we went to the uh, orphanage slash old people home. It's yeah. always together, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and delivered with a big truck, everything. Yeah. Same year. Well, we, we gave the money to the Youth Association. And in Chinese New Year, they took us on a trip to two or three places in, mm. in Guangdong and then into Guangxi. We went that was to, the next year. Oh, the next year. Okay, the first year was just in Guangdong. We went to Huiyuan, I think, at one The state. first year, 2005, yeah. and we spent the money just in Zhongshan for the poor families. And then the next year, we have a bigger party. And then we went to Huiyuan, uh, yeah. we went to Qingyuan, we went to Guangxi, Baise, yeah, to wow. visit some uh, This This raises something that I would like to talk about uh, with you guys, because probably by walking to Beijing or by riding, all the way to, to Guangdong from Xinjiang. You've probably seen a lot of the poverty alleviation. Yes, in very effect. much so, yes. Um, what can you tell us about that? I mean, what are what are the elements that, that you see as, well, this is progress? Okay, um, I, I have a personal anecdote about this, uh, something that um, Anne said to me at the time, you really need to put this out there into the big world and tell Jongsan TV and stuff like that. In 2014, riding from Guangdong to Xinjiang, we went through Ningxia and Gansu. Ningxia is a very small province, but it's impoverished. It's very dirt poor. Uh, and you know, the roads were terrible. The towns were terrible. There was houses made with cardboard and wood and bits and pieces. There were people living in caves uh, in the north of Sanxi and the south end of Gansu. We, found, we saw people who lived in caves. And I remember one particular town that we had to ride into and we rode for about 20 minutes past these huts. That's the only way to describe them, is just huts, nothing else. When we got into the town, it was it was a town, but it wasn't a rich town. And you know, we found a hotel that would take us and it was a pretty shoddy hotel, nothing special. And then on the way out of town, I, I made the comment that the best thing about this town is the road out of it and that's not very good. <laughs> Uh, and that was a comment that I made. We went through the same town again six years later, and I couldn't recognize it. Wow. I couldn't see. The, there was no wooden huts. There was no um, makeshift or ramshackle homes. We stayed in a proper hotel. We had a proper restaurant meal. There's the uh, shopping center with a car park full of cars. And none of this existed six years before. How about, of, how about culture preservation in that same um, town. Well, it's, it's a really interesting question because 
I can remember once talking to Anne about this. You know, they're knocking down all these beautiful old houses. And she said, yeah, but they're giving people decent apartments. And from an outsider's perspective, when you see this uh, old culture disappearing, and I know that Kashgar is a great example of this, they've torn down a lot of old Kashgar. And it's sad that they do that, but the people who lived in those houses need to be asked, are you better right. off now? And I think many of them will say, okay, socially maybe we're not, but we've got hot and cold running water, we've got a toilet, we don't have the kind of interaction with our neighbors that we had. So there is some social disadvantages but there's also some great social advantages and right. health benefits. Right. Uh, and you know, the, it's really hard to say whether it's right or whether it's wrong, but it is definitely a better lifestyle to live if you can live in a place that has a washing machine. I, I think there's no doubt about that part. The uh, social advancement, the, the living conditions. To, mm. I mean, I don't think any foreigner in foreign countries would uh, accept, you know, seeing people living, living without running houses. water uh, in the U.S. I, I don't yeah, think that's preferable. Not, yeah. <laughs> so that but, part, yeah, I'm but sure. There's also that issue of, you know, the guys who used to sit in the park and the park's gone now. Mm. And, and now they're in high-rise apartments. Right. And they don't have that, especially the pensioners who sit around playing their card games and their right. chess and, and smoking their pipes and things. Uh, you know, you, you can't see them as much as you used to. So there's definitely disadvantages mm. involved in that. But I think the, the health and the social advantages, mm. the societal advantages overweigh that. Uh, the people who lived in those places would definitely be more comfortable now. So you could actually compare. You, you know, this is something you've seen six years well, before. I, I couldn't do yeah. uh, we, we wrote down one street and I said, you're going to see a load of slums basically and we didn't what we there aren't there aren't there anymore yes we were in the right place but it was it, it wasn't high-rise it was like right. four-story houses mm -hmm. so they hadn't gone into like 20 or 30 story buildings with um, you know loss of uh, that social interaction they were now houses four-story and three-story houses where I, these slums used to be when when people think about poverty alleviation and socialism they always think about okay this is this is an investment this is sustainable or this is just an expenditure how how do you think the government is actually making it sustainable I mean is this job creation or just um, okay so in in a sense in some of those areas uh, you'll have seen TikTok and things like that doing uh, in China and you'll see people on a farm selling their fruit. They, you know, they're, they're growing pomegranates and they sell online. And sometimes they sell out like that. You know, they start a live streaming thing, bang, it's right. all gone. Now, a few months ago or a few years ago, it would have been impossible for them to deliver that fruit. If we were in Jiangsan or in Dongguan and we wanted to order some of that fruit, it would have taken three days and been spoiled. SF Express and organizations like that now have roads straight in there. They have terminuses in those places. So yeah, they've invested in the road. And there's the old expression, you know, if you want to build a path to riches, you build the path first. And this is what they've done. They've built a road into those rural areas. My understanding, reading something just a few days ago, there is not a single village left in China that doesn't have yeah. a road to it now. Like the last one. So that's something new. That's recent. Well, we went last to a, week or something. Yeah, it's just very recently. Yeah, yeah, we went to a place a few years ago where we parked the bus and walked eight kilometers in and then eight kilometers back because there was no road. Now, the only way to stock the store was with a donkey. And a donkey on its back. We saw this happening, you know, a right. horse and a donkey going in with, with, with stock. 
and the nearest there was no bus stop the nearest place to catch any form of transport was not a bus stop it was um, it was kind of a, a, a yard and people waited there and if a truck came past the truck would stop and they just jump in the back of the truck and go into town and that's how they got into yeah, town. It definitely is one of the things when I drive in China I'm always amazed like the roads Amazing like, roads, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You don't see this I, in other countries. Well, that's the, project, the project that I tried to do was more beyond just the roads, but just the electric vehicle charger network. Right. Yes, right. Yeah. Also amazing. All the way right. there. Yeah. And now it's absolutely possible. We did it and it's possible to right. see. So, so you right. went all the way into Western China yep. on an, right. in an electric Qinghai. car. Qinghai yeah. oh, an electric yeah. car. Yeah. So this place you were talking about that you saw the difference of six years. Which yeah, province was it? Ningxia. It's, Ningxia. A, it's not a province. It's a region. It's, a, ah. well, it's an autonomous region. It's the Huayo, Ningxia Huayo autonomous region. And how about Xinjiang? Uh, Similar things. I mean, I don't know if you've seen. Uh, on Twitter, people keep posting pictures of, of Urumuchi and how glamorous and lit up it is. And it, it really is. But Xinjiang uh, has several cities. Urumuchi was always a city. It's... It's more developed city now, but it was always a big city. It always had high rises. It always had the things that cities have, uh, but it did have a lot of poverty there as well, and it did have a lot of kind of slums. I took a long walk around um, Xinjiang one day. I was there with my father, and he wanted to have an afternoon nap, and uh, I let him have his nap, and I went for a three-hour walk from the hotel. Just went out for a walk, and I saw the side of Xinjiang, the right. side of Urumuchi that the tourists don't normally see right. because that's what I do. I go for a walk. But yeah, it's, it's, this was in the that was, last trip? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, that was probably 2006, 2000, when my father came over a few years ago. That's the first trip. Yeah, 2007 maybe. It's a few and, years and ago. And did you compare now? Uh, yeah, it's much better. Yeah. In terms of its infrastructure, in terms of what's available there. So basically like many cities in China, really, if it, you think about nothing, it. Nothing stays the same in China. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. If We've you leave here, for six months, well, right. I've been here 17 years. Yeah. Right. I've been here yes. 20 years, and the city ended like a couple of blocks from here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just 20 <laughs> years ago. Okay. How about the security <laughs> when you go to Xinjiang? What can you tell us about that? I mean, you you've been in security also. Uh, yeah, I lived in the security. I worked in the security yeah. industry. Yeah. So what what is uh, what do people uh, expect? And you you went to Xinjiang too, Fernando. So I didn't I mean, get to Xinjiang. I didn't get very close. I get close. Okay. Right, yeah. So what, what can we, if someone goes to Xinjiang tomorrow, what can he expect? Okay. You told me about face recognition, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there's a few things. Uh, are you talking about a foreigner or a Chinese person? They're different. Okay, um, they're different. Okay. First of all, anyone can go to Xinjiang. This is a myth that people say, you can't travel to Xinjiang. You can. Anyone, anyone can. How do you get to Xinjiang? Well, in my case, uh, the last trip, I bought an air ticket. We bought air tickets and we flew in. There's no restriction. There's no special permit needed. Just... Win. If you have a visa for China, your visa covers Xinjiang, it's part of China. Um, Tibet is different. Tibet needs a special travel permit. Right. Xinjiang does not. It doesn't have that restriction. Any, uh, any parts of Xinjiang maybe nope. more restricted? Nope. Um, if you so. don't have a reason, we, we traveled into um, Korgash, which is the border of Kazakhstan. And uh, we, we really, it was difficult to do that, but it wasn't impossible. Yeah. We, got a, we got police approval. Uh, basically, we had to, that was in uh, 2004. So you, you you may need more than just your regular visa for some parts. A trip, no. our last trip, we got stopped at the border, quite the entrance of the border. Every we time we got stopped. No, I mean talk about the 2014 okay. in the Hogas. Uh, we got stopped by the police, mm -hmm. and then they checked 
they checked visa, the, the foreigners' passports yeah, and visas. And they didn't check my ID. No. In fact, they didn't even want you out of the no, car. They, we were in a car we, at this we stage. We stayed in a car, and then they mm. just checked the ID, uh, the, 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 the passport, yeah. the visa, and then just let yeah. us So go. from your experience, this is your experience. I mean, are you sure there is no other area in, in... I am sure that I haven't seen one. You haven't seen one. one. Yes, right. No. right. Because right. we spoke about it before, yeah. right? A lot. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you telling us, you telling anyone what you've seen. Yeah, that's all, right? that's all and, I can say. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea that you mentioned to us in the preparation that you have been kind of like dragged into this yeah. discussion about Xinjiang and, and concentration camps and what's taking place. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how did you get dragged into yeah. it and uh, what's your position? How do you feel yeah. about what the West says about it? Okay. How did it start even? How did you yeah. go on, what is it, TV, TV or what was it? Um, it's, it started accidentally like most things. Um, mm. we, we came home in uh, late October last year and we went on holiday after this trip. I, I have a family in Australia, we went to visit family. And then we came back to China and um, I was a little busy, had a few things to do. And uh, then we got locked down in back in February. Mm. And I found that, you know, we're sitting at home for, I was I was allowed out. Only one of us was allowed out of oh, the house. You for, had that in uh, Yeah, in Zhongshan. Yeah. Everywhere We didn't have this here. Oh, you didn't? Oh, I thought no. it was everywhere. No, we didn't have um, it. Well, we, were, we had some infections in Zhongshan. There were 80-something, nobody died, 80-something infections. And there hasn't been one since... March. So similar to here. At that right. time, yeah. we got locked down, and I went out one day without realizing this. And there was a barrier at the front gate of our, our village where we it's, it's in the city, but it's a little village. Mm -hmm. And there's a barrier there, and they said, Well, you can't go out unless you've got this pass. Okay, where can I get the pass? Come on into the office. They gave me the pass. They had to phone the police station. Do you know that? Yeah, we know this guy. I'm the only foreigner who lives right. there. So they gave me the pass, and, and I was allowed out every second day for three hours. And I got a tick and a time written on when I left. <laughs> and I had to be back within three hours or I was, I don't know what would have happened because I always right. back. And I'd go out and do shopping. Sometimes I'd meet a friend and have a quick beer. Shh, don't tell anybody that. <laughs> uh, and um, Anne, unfortunately, wasn't allowed out. At all? <laughs> because only one person from each apartment. From the village, yeah. not no, from the apartment. From the no, apartment. Each, each, each apartment. House, each yeah. house. Per household, yeah. only so one So you person. had to stay for a while indoors. She stayed indoors if for I go out, you can't go out. Yeah. Right. But I had the pass. So yeah, I know couldn't. some places in China had that. Unfortunately yeah. for us, we didn't have this. Okay. Here. Well, yeah. then what happened was I'm sitting at home all day doing nothing. I said, well, I might op reopen this Twitter account that I opened up five years ago. Mm. So in 2015, I opened a Twitter account with a view to posting pictures of traveling around China mm. because I travel a lot around China. And I bought a, a, I was in the UK and I bought a folding bike over there. It's called a Brompton. So anybody Made in who, China? No. Oh, made no, in, made Britain, there. Made oh, in wow. London. Uh, oh, and, and not <laughs> cheap either believe okay. me but i think the chinese one might be better <laughs> um, so yeah it's a very good bike it really is and i my my twitter name was jerry on a brompton in those days and i had two friends and i had one tweet from 2015 until february 2020 that was it two mm. friends i had three friends at one stage but one unfollowed me oh. yeah, I, was, I was devastated yeah, i lost 30 percent of my followers in one day uh, and then I just said, well, I'm going to start posting pictures of our bike rides. And I started to post pictures of the bike rides. And I started with the oldest bike ride, which was the first one where we rode from Jongsa, or actually from the border of Macau to the border of Kazakhstan. And 
right across China. And I thought this would be interesting for people outside of China. And it got to the pages where the, I was just doing two tweets a day at the time, you know, and, and I got through the journey over a period of the, the next tell 20, story. 20 days, yeah, mm. telling the story oh, yeah, of the, yeah. the trip. And, and I got into Xinjiang, and then I started to get questions, you know, how did you go into Xinjiang? I said, well, we just rode across the border. Actually, we rode across with a tailwind going up the hill, and it was 30 kilometers an hour. And I've actually got a video of me doing that. Uh, and I said, yeah, there's no problem. We can get into Xinjiang very, very easily. And they said, well, you can't, but you can. Mm. And well, you can't travel through Xinjiang. We did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and here's the pictures, you know, and I was posting pictures. And then I had people telling me, no, that's wrong. You're a liar. Okay, block, clear off. I don't want to right. talk to people who are just right. going to say you're a liar. Right. If someone wants to question me, I'm happy to answer that question. If someone wants to get rude with me or call me a liar or call me a CCP shill, then those things are really not what I'm in here for. Right. I will come, I will happily enter a discussion with anyone who has questions about Xinjiang and I will answer to the best of my ability and that's how this happened and then uh, somebody from Global Times first was the first one contacted. media in, in China yeah. uh, it, uh, well it's, it's an English language national newspaper government uh, government uh, owned yes, yeah. yes. And, and quite strong rhetoric about China it's not really something I enjoy reading to be quite honest right. uh, because it's a little bit over the top on yeah, the Chinese yeah. thing and they asked me, would you do an interview? And I said, well, yeah, do I get paid for this? Oh, no, no, it's just an interview. Said, okay, fine. Okay. So uh, I did the interview and they wrote an article and it was a full page and they sent me a couple of copies. So I actually printed in the printed, printed edition. Printed edition. And online, I'm sure, too. It's online as yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But there's a printed edition and I have, right. we have two copies at home. Right. They sent them to me. And, and it was a little stilted in its language, but it was basically accurate. And then I got a call from... Um, the Beijing Review or Beijing Weekly. The, the Beijing Review wanted to do an article. These on are me. English? These are uh, English language, right, yeah. Right. Uh, and I wrote an article for them about, they had to keep a thousand words, and doing a journey like this in a thousand words is not easy. Oh. <laughs> um, so I wrote an article for them in a thousand words, sent that to them, and they printed that, and they actually paid me 500 RMB. Mm. Uh, and actually, they paid me 600 RMB because I gave them a photograph too. Uh -huh. So this is the first time I've ever received money for writing something about China. But I actually didn't write about Xinjiang. I wrote about the journey, the bike journey, and, and linked it with the charity. Right. And again, Beijing Review posted that, and they sent us copy, uh, copies. So we have a copy of that too. So I'm, I'm collecting a little scrapbook of, of articles. There was no any biased uh, editing, you feel? No, they didn't edit it no. at all. They didn't no. change a word. Oh, no. they liked uh, your style. <laughs> I'm obviously good enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, so that I, happened earlier this year, after yeah, February. That, that, was, that was all about June, actually. It, June. it really Just started a few months to ago. take off mm -hmm. in, in maybe late May or June. And then CGTN contacted me. And then the Coda Story. The Coda Story is a, a Western, uh, very anti-China. The lady was very nice, very polite. I'd love to do a, a re, an interview with you and just talk about the other side of this because I've interviewed the Muslim women who are dissidents uh, exiled from uh, from uh, Xinjiang. Xinjiang. I was going to say they call it East Turkestan and right. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> but yes, yeah, Xinjiang. And um, I said, okay, I'll do this interview. And we did an, a, live, a recording of the interview. And... I kept a copy of the recording and then she wrote an article which was totally not relative to the recording we had. Hmm. So then I posted the recording uh, through Carl Zarr. He posted it for me because I didn't have YouTube. And he posted it for me and I did a Medium article. I wrote my own article to refute her article. 
and literally tore it apart. You know, the, she said this, this is what was said, it's at this minute in the interview, go check it out for yourself and see who's telling the lie. And her only comment to that, when I responded back to her and said, look, I've done this, I want your comment on this before I post it, she said, isn't it great that it's got so much uh, interest? So she's more interested in the clicks than right, she is in right, the story. Right, which happens a lot now. But I mean, so, so basically you get to a point now, you're one of the voices online that stand for China in a way, in a matter of Xinjiang, even though it's not, you're not doing it so proactively, I would say. Are you just I, telling, you're really I'm, telling I'm what is... I'm more reactive than proactive, right. but I think in recent weeks I've become a little more proactive about right. it, where people start to, people copying me into things and saying, yeah, what do you think about this? Here's a mosque that's been destroyed, or right. here's a picture of uh, Kashgar that's been destroyed. So you, you react to that? Yeah, I, I react to that. But then I, I tend to, when I see something, I, I'll say, well, this is not right. I, I do, I do be, I, I am a little proactive on some, some aspects. What would you say are some of the easiest uh, things to debunk that the West says about Xinjiang that you would say this it's, is not actually it's almost it impossible to seriously debunk because the West does not give any fact there is no proof there's no evidence so how do you debunk a negative they say there's no concentration camps and I say Oh, so they say there are concentration camps. They say, well, I haven't seen one. How can I debunk that? I, I think I think you already said the easiest thing to debunk is people saying you can't go to Xinjiang. Well, I just yeah. debunked that. And yeah, and that's uh, and a we very did. easy yeah. one, right? That's the first but one. Uh, and we met many, many Uyghurs in Xinjiang. Urumqi has forty-six or forty-seven percent of Uyghur population. Now that's quite high, and it means pretty much everyone you're seeing in the street, every second person is a Uyghur, but it doesn't work like that. You'll be in an area which is predominantly Han, and then you walk around the corner and, and it's predominantly Muslim. And, and I'm assuming they're Uyghurs, we don't know, because not all Muslims are Uyghurs, and not all Uyghurs are Muslims. Mm. So it works both ways. There are a lot of Uyghurs who are not Muslims, mm. and they don't really care about what's going on. They're just living their lives normally. They're working in their restaurants, they're working in their shops, and it's just a normal You mean city. they're Han, or they are actually... No, they're, they're Uyghurs. They, they look like they're the ethnic same. minorities. Okay, they, but they, they have a Turkic look about them. Right. And I never said to them, "Are you a Tajik? Are you a Kazakh? Are you a Mongol? Or whatever?" There, there are, I think, fourteen. Maybe I'm not sure exactly how many. I think Different fourteen ethnicities. ethnicities inside of Xinjiang, hmm. other than Han. Xinjiang is 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 uh, is quite amazing. It the, it borders with like eight countries yeah. or six or eight countries, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and Tibet and Mongolia yeah. and. It's it's a very very big province, right? It, it's it, it's as big as France, Spain, and Germany put together, and yeah. a little bit more. So I mean, no surprise, first of all, that uh, uh, so many ethnicities and ethnicities bring some issues over history, right? I mean, all of that. It, it's also someone asked me uh, just the other day. I was on a, a TV show, and somebody asked me, "Why do you think tourists should go there?" The diversity is amazing. Right. You've got the desert, mm -hmm. and. Honestly, deserts are harsh. If you want to ride across the desert, you really need preparation. You've got that. But you've also got these most beautiful mountain ranges, snow-capped mountains surrounding right, the deserts. Right. And you've got the grassy plains on the other side of the Tian Shan Mountains. It is absolutely a gorgeous place. And it is incredibly safe because of the level of security, which actually is a pain in the butt. And you asked a little while mm -hmm. ago about the security. Every town and city you go into, you go through a security check. And when you're riding the bike, that's a 20-minute process. Now, the, the Uyghurs and the locals, they go through, scan their card, brrr, 
facial recognition Easy. and they're in. We have to go through the manual process. Right. So traveling uh, is a bit uh, more fun, a bit uh, more fun, yeah. travel. <laughs> Very more fun, yes. All right. <laughs> All right, guys, and we are back with Jerry and his travel stories about right. Xinjiang. So we were asking you what are some of the easiest things to debunk, and then Ziv, you wanted to ask. Yeah, I wanted different... to ask what's the, the the harder things to debunk. You know, you get a lot of comments now on Twitter and other places. Um, when I look at this, when I look at uh, uh, someone putting a photo up or you know an interview with 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 uh, people from there. Um, a lot of times I, I get conflicted inside. It's so easy to believe that, right? Mm. How do you debunk, debunk some of those things? Okay, it's, first of all, there are people in other countries telling stories about, horror stories about um, what's happening in China. Now, I'm not going to say that they're liars. These people have been separated from their families and that's bad. I don't, I don't approve of separating people from their families unless there's a very, very good reason. And being a Muslim is not a good reason. Being right. a separatist, being uh, an independence fighter, being, call it what you like, a terrorist if you want. Right. That's a good reason for separating people from their family. And I'm not sure what these people are or why. And there's all kinds of stories, but there is an agenda. These people don't like being part of the Chinese system and therefore they're outside of it now telling stories which really have a purpose to destabilize China and to destabilize Xinjiang. Now, who is funding that purpose? Who's, whose bottom line? I don't really know. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm not getting into the politics of right. that. I mean, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories about the CIA, the NED, and, and uh, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and all these things happening. I don't know anything about that. You, you said there are like three, you said before there are three channels there, of, of there information. There are basically three sources of information. The, the dissidents and the exiles are one of the sources of information. Uh, everything stems back to one man. His name is Adrian Zenz. Adrian Zenz created uh, through data mining, a very smart guy, no doubt, very smart guy, through data mining, he has found documentation that proves tens of thousands of kilometers of barbed wire fencing, um, razor wire, all of these things were shipped across to Xinjiang. Concrete was sent out to Xinjiang by the tens of thousands of tons. So therefore, they must be building prison camps. That does make sense if you're looking at it from a hostile point of view. I'm not suggesting there aren't prisons in Xinjiang. I'm sure there are. I'm certain there are. There are prisons in Dongguan. There are prisons in Zhongshan. Right. There are prisons in London. I know what a prison looks like. I've worked inside of prisons as a police officer. I've, I've actually designed access control and closed circuit television for prisons in the security industry. I know what a prison looks like. I didn't see one. I have not seen a prison in Xinjiang. So we've traveled uh, several thousand kilometers on roads in Xinjiang. And according to the ASPI, one of their representatives, Nathan Russer, has contacted me and told me I was within 100 meters of a prison. Okay, I accept what you say is a prison and I was on the road that's 100 meters from it because I traveled between here and here and there's only one road. I accept that you say that's a prison. First of all, I didn't see a prison. You haven't been there and had a look. You've looked from the sky on a grainy little satellite image, and you're telling me it's a prison. Well, I don't agree that it is, but I'm not going to say it's not. Okay, let's, let's stop there. Let's go into how we got into that position and what happened to us. We arrived in Xinjiang by plane. 
We told the people in the hotel what we were doing because we were expecting our bikes to be delivered and it has three large cartons. We, we had to arrange that through the hotel, so they knew what we were doing. The security guys in the hotel knew what we were doing. When the bikes arrived, we went to the back of the hotel and we assembled our bikes. The following day, we packed our bikes, checked out of the hotel, got on the bikes, turned right, and rode out of Urumuchi. We rode out of the city into a police check. The police never said, you can't go here. They said, where are you going? What are you doing? Wow, do you want some tea? Here's some fruits. Can we top up your water bottles for yeah. you? And we've got photographs yeah. of these police officers helping us. So you took photos of them? Yeah, they signed our, yeah. They signed our oh, flag. Okay. We had a little flag for the charity. And you were, uh, how many were in your in a group? Three. And Anna, yeah. myself, and an Australian friend. So two foreigners. Yeah. And one Chinese. Yeah. So, so and they, you had cameras. We, Anna and I had a camera each mounted on our bikes. Uh, we each had a mobile phone. We each of us, uh, well, we, well, I think we had five cameras and three phones between us. Mm -hmm. I had a drone. Not one police officer asked to see what we had taken a picture of. Mm -hmm. And yet, according to Nathan Russer of ASPI, we were within 100 meters of a concentration camp. That doesn't ring true. We were allowed to sleep overnight in the desert. Mm -hmm. And nobody said, where were you last night? We slept in a culvert under the road because it was incredibly windy. It was impossible to put up a tent. I mean, we're talking serious <laughs> winds. Crossing the Gobi into the Taklama clan, you get 100 kilometer an hour winds. You don't put up tents. We slept under the road. And uh, slept we slept behind a cemetery one night, uh, which is another thing because they say, oh, they've destroyed all the cemeteries. No, they haven't. We slept in one uh, <laughs> because it had a nice building and we were hiding behind the building. Uh, and it was 100 meters from a train line. I've, I've actually said to Nathan Russo, this is outside of Dabachang, where he says, you were within 100 meters of a concentration camp. I said, well, I was also sleeping in a cemetery right next to a, 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 a train line. You tell me how close I was to that when I was sleeping there. Now, I was sleeping there with five cameras and had cameras. Uh, we were sleeping there. And nobody said, where were you? What did you take pictures of? Let's have a look at your camera. Now, that tells me that there isn't a restriction on people going into why, why those do you areas. Think, why do you think people like that don't believe it? Even when, you know, like, are they, are they just looking? Is this because of today's confirmation bias? That's what people just want to find online. And when someone doesn't give it to them, yeah, um, there, there is no news about Xinjiang. Let, let's be honest about this. There is no news coming out of Xinjiang at all. What there is, is a massive propaganda campaign. Adrian Zenz's documentation has been legitimized by the CIA and by Congress. Adrian Zenz has given evidence to Congress and they have believed it, so that's legitimized. So everyone now says there are credible reports that there are 400 or 600 or 200, I don't know how many concentration camps, prison camps there are. Okay, so it's been legitimized now because Congress has accepted this information. ASPI are the other source and they've looked at these 400 camps. Now, several of those camps have been found to be, one's a ceramic factory, one is a housing estate with a swimming five pool, star. a five-star five housing star estate. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, right. yeah, I mean, some of these are being refuted. Now, if we can refute one, then it, it puts at jeopardy every single right, thing that right. they say. Now, I'm not arguing that there are prisons. I'm never going to argue that. There will be prisons in Xinjiang because sure. they have a separatist issue. They have a terrorism problem, had a terrorism problem. They have not had a terrorist attack for four years now. And, and yeah. the reason is you can't move through Xinjiang in any respect 
without being stopped and checked at every border. Yeah, these kind of security measures, we spoke about it before the show, right? That uh, um, it's, um, which is very, you know, some Westerners would say it's too much, you know. Um, that's the price, I think, to pay for safety. I was a police officer in London in the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, there were IRA terrorist campaigns going on right. at that time. The Irish Republican Army placed bombs around different places around the UK, and I actually witnessed the effects of one. And as a police officer, I would say that the measures put in place in Xinjiang will definitely stop that from happening again. Now, you can argue as a civil libertarian that the measures are too strong, mm. but I would argue as a humanitarian that if they save somebody's life, right. anybody's life, then that's not too strong. I think, I mean, coming from Israel, which, you know, we have this problem for decades mm. um, with uh, terrorist organizations, suicide bombings. I think whenever you have to take serious measures, and you have to, right? I do believe that, you know, some innocent people will get uh, hurt. Uh, some unjust net. will happen, there will be you know? Some, yeah, there yes. will be some injustices for you know? sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, again, so maybe it's the, the dilemma of, uh, you know, hurting 10 to save... 100,000. Yeah, mean. the human rights people have, have a point. Living in Xinjiang is difficult, not for the Uyghurs, for everyone. Everyone who lives in Xinjiang goes through exactly the same procedures. Now, okay, the Uyghurs are not allowed to grow beards. Okay, that's a human rights issue. Fair enough. But there is a closed-circuit television system that keeps everybody safe, and beards interfere with facial recognition. So, like, this kind of beard, I wouldn't be... You wouldn't be allowed to grow that beard. I mean, as a visitor, I... you'd be okay. But if you were a local, no, they wouldn't allow you to have that. If you turned 50, I think they'll let you grow a beard. Hmm. But young people are not allowed to grow beards. And right. the reason is facial recognition. The ladies are not allowed to wear the hijab to cover the face. It's okay to wear the scarf. The Muslim scarf is very, very common but covering the face is not accepted because mm. facial recognition. Now, is that a human rights or is that a health and safety or human safety issue? That's and, and there's the balance. Where right. do you find that yes, balance? It's hard to find. That, that yeah. uh, kind of um, discussion was uh, very present also in Australia, I remember at some point, mm. where uh, people get a driver's license photo with the full face mask and like, how can we identify who you are? I think there are more countries well, with this issue. I, yeah. I think France has only France has just recently um, opened up some de-radicalization schools. Right. Now, there's there's a little bit of whataboutism, and I don't like to do that because if it's okay for France, it should be okay here. That's not the story. It shouldn't be okay uh, unless it's required. They, in France, they've had rules for years about hijabs in schools. Now, in China, they have one rule about schools everywhere no religion that's it it doesn't matter what religion you are there is no religion buddhism taoism christianity I Islam. Agree with that. there is no religion in a school in china and i just posted a little thing about this yesterday uh there is no religion in china but if you want to become a priest there are places that you can go to study religion if you want to become an imam there are places you can go and and religion is not forbidden it's not forbidden no, at all it's it's, in fact it's the opposite <laughs> right, right. There, there's an article, I think Article 36 of the Constitution, which says that you are free to worship any, anything, whatever you want. What you're not free to do is encourage other people to worship. So if you want to be a priest, you can be a priest, but you can't say, I want to convert you to Christianity or I want to convert you to Islam. That's not allowed because then you're stepping into the 
the point where you're organizing people. They have a Taiping Rebellion in their history. They have a Falun Gong in their history. These are quite nasty parts of Chinese history, which came about because of religious fundamentalism, religious cultism. And China just says, we don't want that. You're free to, you're free to worship. Mean, so my argument is that, yeah, I, I do think that uh, uh, some freedoms are taken away mm-hmm. in small doses, you know. Yes. But I understand it too. I'm not even saying it in an extreme negative, you know, fighting it kind of way. Yeah. But uh, If you take away one small step of freedom, are you then going to take away another and then another and then another? And that's the fear of the human rights people, and I understand right, that right, entirely. Right. Uh, and it has to be stopped. That, that right. kind of thing has to be curbed. But the idea of mass surveillance, the idea of um, uh, things like this... There's no country in the world now that doesn't have mass surveillance. Again, people are complaining that they have cameras all over China. London's got more cameras. What about ism again? But London's got more cameras than China per capita. And why? Because bombs. Because they had bombs in London a few years ago, and now they want to track everybody's movements. So if it's allowed in China, it's allowed in Australia, it's allowed in London. What's the big problem with that? Right, we have a lot of cameras here uh, in recent years. I I wanted to ask you a question related to um, terrorism in Xinjiang. Um, There's a a documentary that came out only recently, and in that documentary they were talking about these attacks were not made public. There was not too much about it in the news um, because they they wanted to first figure out how to control it. Mm. I don't know how aware are you of this um, particular piece of... Well, if it wasn't in the news, probably not very aware at all. Um, I think what China does, and I remember a few years ago, there was a a case of a guy going into a school with a knife and killing people and stabbing a few people. And and that was pretty horrific. It was on the news. But then what happened, there was a copycat in another city. And they took it off the news. Schools, kids, yes. right? Yeah. And, and, after, t- and after that, there were more guarding in schools. Yes. And now you have security. two police officers yeah. at every gate yes, of the yes, school, yes. and you have barbed wire they fencing. They even have like a helmet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, you have everything now to secure the kids. Yes. The kids' safety is paramount. The yeah. cost of that kids' safety is not considered here. Right, right. And, that, and that's one of the things that in 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 uh, Xinjiang, it's quite possible. I know that in 2009, 2008, there were some very serious in terrorist the 1990s. attacks. Uh, yeah, yes. um, going back to around the Olympics time, there was uh, a bomb outside of a police training school. I think 30 people were killed there. 2013 in Shanshan, which is not far from Dabachan and, and uh, Turpan, uh, there was a, a massive riot there and 30 people, 40 people were killed there. You don't get to see these things in mainstream news. And what you do see is the aftermath and the after effect. You see police officers. Shanshan is a very secure town. Every corner has a police station. Every street has three police officers. One carries an AK-47, one carries a shield, and one carries a baton. And they work as a tandem team. Tandem? Three of them. They work in, in, uh, in threes. But on our last bike ride, mm. we didn't see that on street. No, we didn't see it on the street in the last bike ride, but no. it did in 2014. But I mean, again, you have to do these things. I think that uh, if I'm China, and I'm sure they, they think about preventing something way bigger. I mean, they see the ISIS, the Islamic State, you know. Uh, they don't want something like this to happen in, in their biggest province, basically, right? I, I mean, it, it has the potential there. The, the, the decision to not give it too much air, too much media time to these attacks, 
um, has come around and kind of like bitten it, me in the ass, in, the ass. Like, <laughs> yeah. in a way Be because now oh you got all these controls for what for what yeah for the things that happened before but that we, we didn't, didn't tell you about, about. right yeah. right so but that's a habit they have yes, yes. to not uh, yeah. to yeah. not put things in the in the media too much well china doesn't want to tell people that things are going wrong inside right, china because right. everything goes right we all know it's perfect here don't we right right <laughs> that <Yeah>. was sarcasm <laughs> are you are you planning to go back to Xinjiang? I'd Did like to. I'm not sure I'll go back on a bike again. Um, yeah, I, I like the I like the area. I love the food up there. I mean, the food oh. is amazing. You agree? Yeah, yeah, the most popular restaurant here for foreigners is a Xinjiang. Doesn't restaurant. surprise me. It's, it's, it's very Turkic. Uh, it's it's yeah. When I was thinking this morning, Middle Eastern food. We yeah. say Xinjiang food, but actually it's it's, it's not really. So. It's. Uh, what is it? It's uh, it's uh, Turkish it's, influence. Yes, yeah, it's and it's, uh, it's kind of North African, Turkish, Mediterranean. Right. It's got a, it's got touches right. of it all. Uh, but yeah, a lot of lamb, and the lamb there is amazing. The the, the, the grasslands up there smell like herbs. The, the the lamb are just eating the the herbs all day. I'm I'm about to put out a video of the best lamb I've ever had. Your the, favorite, yeah. Oh, where was just, this? Uh, this was in uh, Donghuang. Donghuang, Dong, yeah, oh. in Gansu. Oh, we had the best oh. lamb we ever had in Donghuang too. I uh, know the uh, second best. The, no, we did. Remember that restaurant mm. we went yeah, to? That was really good. The best was in Zhongwei. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and we have the children walking by, so hopefully we can hear. You speak close to the mic. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, one of the things that you mentioned was that you were allowed to camp. And that's yes. one thing that I published a couple of videos ago. I wasn't allowed to camp. And the story was that something had happened to, to somebody while they were camping over there. And they made it uh, a rule that foreigners could not camp in, in Tsinghai uh, for a period of time. Okay, so um, it's really for your safety? Or that's yes, what they told you? That's that's what they told me, that it was for my safety. But uh, the reason why I say this is that Anything negative that happens can be used against China. And that's what happened with this particular situation. Uh, somebody went out camping, hiking, and something happened to this right. person. Yeah. So China has this reaction of like, okay, we don't want any kind of incident with foreigners. Uh, Chinese can. Yes, oh. it's part of the reason there's certain hotels we're not allowed to stay in. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that is because they want us to have a good experience of China, so they guide us towards the international quality hotels. Personally, I'd rather spend 70 RMB for a room and, and sleep cheap. But I mean, it's how we look at it. You could say that. We can say that, I mean, during COVID also there was this issue, right, with yes. hotels. Yeah. You know, I, I had this issue a couple of months ago and uh, uh, they didn't want foreigners, you know, and... and it's it's uh, some kind of a discrimination. It, it's, I mean, there it's is sometimes it's a yeah. genuine ignorance. Actually, it's not it's not really. A it's I don't coming think it's from ignorance. I agree with that. It stems from ignorance. They, I, I've had it just recently. The other day, we we stayed in a hotel in Shenzhen, and I had I have a, a certificate that says I've had uh, COVID tests and mm -hmm. I'm clean, uh, because I came back to China early March and I went away for two or three weeks and came back in early March and had to go through two weeks quarantine with the nuclear tests. Yes. So I've done all that and I have this. But we got into an elevator the other day and a guy suddenly scampering around trying to get his mask yeah. because a foreigner stepped right. into the elevator with him. It's just really, the, they're not thinking this through. 
Yes. Any foreigner in China right has now been here for has six been months. here longer or been through the quarantine. I mean, more, quarantine. more people are coming recently, so it could be, but they but have, have to go through the quarantine. And tests and, yeah. and many, many yeah. things, right? So foreigners are probably safer than Chinese. Let's be honest. <laughs> because we've all either been here, you can guarantee this foreigner has been in town longer or has been through a quarantine and a testing process. And if you haven't been through one of those two steps, you aren't a foreigner in China. There's no way into China without going through. It you happened to me back in uh, April or May, yeah. and uh, I, I, I was uh, taken back. I was I was emotional about it, let's say. I didn't think straight. It's true. I, I kind of felt 17 years here, it feels like your home, and suddenly it's like someone walks away with, from you because you're yeah. a foreigner. Yeah. As a white person from the West, I never had to deal with this kind of discrimination. I remember, I remember when you mentioned that in one of the podcasts that we had, right? I experienced it also in Xinjiang, and I mentioned in one of my videos. Um, we went to a restaurant in Xinjiang, and uh, it was a Muslim restaurant, and they asked me, where are you from? I said, I'm from Colombia. What's your religion? I don't really have a religion. We don't serve you. Wow. And was oh, like, that's interesting. What if you said Christian? I don't know. I mean, I mean, why would I say Christian? I mean, no, I mean, I just wonder why wouldn't they serve you if you have no religion? But this actually got me to thinking about uh, people say that, that the Muslims are oppressed. And in this case, the Muslim making rules. Coming, exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, as I said in my video, I mean, I thought, I felt about, okay, should I contact the tourism bureau or the police and then. Complain. Complain. Best thing is just to let it go. Exactly. Yeah. There were 20 restaurants on that street. I said to my wife, you know what? Let's just turn around. He lost, he lost business. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, is, is the kind of thing that I don't think too many people get to hear that there's actually discrimination the other way around yeah. or yeah. so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Being, being white in China right now does have its discriminatory factors. And it's based around English. And it was so much the opposite for so many be, years. Yeah, we had white it's like, privilege, yes. it's yeah. an entrance to anywhere. It was. You know? yeah, yeah, it's not so much now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a common friend that is American and he's taking the, the habit of saying that he's not American. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite wise. I think quite a few people did it in uh, since, uh, you know, the virus going that... Uh, it's gone crazy. In yeah. I, I had a, an issue with the taxi driver the other day in Zhongshan. I got into the taxi and he said, I don't want to take you, you're a foreigner. I said, no, I'm, I live in Zhongshan. He said, where are you from? I said, from the UK. And he said, uh, how long have you been in chi China? I said, I left the UK in 1987. Oh, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all true, but I have but been he did, back. He did listen to you and yeah. he let you in. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, you have to remember that uh, it's not like uh, it's the same kind of discrimination. No, it, it's based it's based on an ignorance. Yes, and, yes. and honestly, in Xinjiang, fear. this is what part of this re-education thing is probably doing. It's bringing people back from this degree of ignorance about uh, everything except their own culture mm. and teaching them how to speak Mandarin, teaching them how to survive in a Mandarin world, which China is. Oh, I, Xinjiang wasn't. I, I, I spent some time in New York uh, 19 years ago and uh, I remember going into homes of Jewish people, upstate New York, that, uh, you know, Hasidic Jews, yeah. religious Jews, and they basically, the kids, there, many kids, of course, they all spoke Yiddish. Now, they only spoke Yiddish. Oh. They didn't even know English. Right. Which I felt so angry about that. Yeah. Like, you basically, uh, you want to shelter them from the world, I guess, or something like that. Okay. Uh, in my opinion, those parents should be in jail. I mean, you know, like, 
Well, it's it's the it's, it's the same as the Amish and uh, yeah, those um, kinds of things where, kind of. where they don't want to introduce into the new. Yeah, you prevent basic rights, in my opinion, mm. from your kids. Uh, choice, you know, and stuff like that. It's a family choice. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's a dead language, you know. Um, so that's, that's... Not in their family. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not in their community, I guess. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And, right. and they will probably stay in that community. And this is what's been happening in Xinjiang. Opportunities are now open to people if they want to take them. If they don't want to take them, they go back into their community and they can speak Uyghur language, right. uh, which is a Turkic-based language. Um, this is another of the myths that the Uyghur language is being eradicated. It certainly is. Oh, you, you it's know it's, what it's, it's about. not Arabic. It's a Turkic language. It is an Arabic script. When they write it, it looks like, oh, okay. it looks like an Arabic. I'm no expert speak, on this. But there's, there's road signs all it's over everywhere. the everywhere. Yes, everywhere. Do you do say shukran there? Like to thank you, you like Arabic shukran? I don't, no, no, I you say don't thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, road signs all over the place. Yeah. They're in Tibetan. Yep. They're when, in... when you get out west, they're in the Tibetan script, uh, which which like is like an, an uncurled paperclip. Um, <laughs> there, the, when you in the the main part of Xinjiang, you see it in uh, Chinese Mandarin, uh, simplified Chinese, and you see it in uh, Uyghur script. You don't see it in Pinyin. As soon as you get to Gansu border. It's pinyin and Chinese. Once you're in, and, and here's an interesting fact, I don't know if anyone really realizes this. The official language of Xinjiang is Mandarin and Uyghur. Both. Both are the official languages of, and it's, I don't know if there's any other province or state or region that has two official languages. Maybe uh, Tibet? Maybe Tibet Cantonese. does. No, no Cantonese no. is not the official language no, of Guangdong, no, no. Mandarin is. Uh, and it's official. It's it, you can Wikipedia this, Google this yourself. It's a fact. The official languages of Xinjiang are both these languages. But they don't study in school. That second one. The, they do. The other. They, they, they do study in school. Encourage yeah. the schools to teach their own language. Yeah. Oh, this yeah, this yeah. is a myth that they to don't study in school. Language. What they do uh, in every school in China, the language is Mandarin. Right. In every school sure. in China. Yeah. Now Anne went to a Cantonese school because she's from Guangdong, and with her classmates, chat, chat, chat would have been Cantonese. Go home, chat, chat, chat with mum and dad, Cantonese. Go to school, the lessons are Mandarin. Right. That's, that's actually the law in China. You get right. taught in Mandarin. But until recently, they didn't do that in Xinjiang. They taught Xinjiang schools Xinjiang language. And locally, they were getting people who were ostracized from the rest of China. Now, as Xinjiang develops, and that's poverty alleviation, rather than Han colonialism. These are two different things. Uh, Xinjiang is developing because factories and farmers are going out there. They're taking land. Uh, and we're taking desert land. We're not talking about taking farmland from the Uyghurs. Outside of uh, Urumuchi to the west, miles and miles and miles of desert has been turned into cotton fields. We've seen this. And, and this is this and is rice field. cotton and rice field. Yeah, this is desert, and they're growing rice. I wanted I wanted to ask uh, uh, like both of you actually. You know, what do you say? What do you think when they tell you you are a government shield? You know, uh, because both of you get these kind of comments a lot. You for a while, yeah. Fernando, right? Um, you get you get uh, you get uh, people say you get salary from the government or whatever, mm. and you're probably getting it now. Want to see my right. bank account? <laughs> I've, I've currently got 583 RMB in one of my bank accounts. The other one's got my my British police pension coming into right. it, so has more money in so it. So there's really but, nothing to say to that, right? Like just no. I mean, well, I'm saying the truth. I shared I shared this with my video with you, uh, yeah. and I tagged you on Twitter. Um, if if 
what we are showing people um, is the other side of the story. And what I tell people is like, are we all paid actors? Is this just a set? Is this Truman well, we're showing you how we live and, and, and the reality of life here in China is our experience. This is what we're showing you. Jayo Nation, Daniel Dombrell, uh, the Cole, Barrett, yeah. all these people. We are just showing you what life our in China yeah. is like. We're not paid. Um, and for me, in my particular case, it came as a reaction to all these lies that I was hearing from um, people that I used to follow, YouTubers that I used to follow. I'm like, well, that's not true. That's not how it is. That's not. And then I started like, uh, I jumped myself in, in this in this pool of people trying to correct the narrative. You felt that, the urge to, to do that. Yes. I yeah. feel like it's not fair. It's not fair to China that you got these people saying these things that are not true. Um, that was my experience. Is there such a thing as a Wu Mao army? Because I want well, to maybe know... explain what is Wu Mao to the audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. I want <laughs> to know where army. I sign up for this. Uh, what is Wu Mao? Wu Mao is half of one RMB. Five. Ah, oh, right. So, so Wu Mao. So yeah. what does you it mean this. in slang? Yeah, yeah. I know this, but I want people somebody, watching outside to. If yeah. somebody makes a positive comment or leaves a positive comment on a video, they get fifty cents. <laughs> ah, so it became like that kind of. Uh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> there, there's, there's uh, I don't know who started it, but there is a supposedly a Wu Mao army, and I should be an officer in this, absolutely, because I should be on at least more than Wu Mao. So every country has something like that. In Israel, you know, the, also they talk. Uh, these are bots, bots. Yeah. So it's the yeah, yeah, it's the yeah, same kind yeah. of idea, right? Sure. And we are back with, of course, China. Um, so first of all, I wanna I wanna say uh, thank you to. The place where we are sitting yes. now, uh, Pizzeria Calzone. Um, a good friend, Miguel Alves. Uh, you will see the, the podcast that we did with him over here right. as well. The link will be in the description down below. For hosting us today, it's very comfortable here. The yes, weather so, is so yeah. much better nice. now. Yeah. So. We, we advertise it quite a lot to you. Yeah. You, 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 you promoted this <laughs> yes. place very we well. Go, we're going to yeah. eat something soon as well. I'm looking forward to trying this. All right, so and you had a question. Yeah, I said, we were talking about, uh, I was Wuma asking, army. what do you answer? Yeah, you know, the Wuma army and, and, and all of that to, to people online. Um, uh, some people call them keyboard warriors yeah. or something like yeah, that, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Fernando, you have like, what, 15, 20,000 followers 16, now? 16,000 last week. Uh, I'm sure you know exactly the number. <laughs> and uh, have you had to block many? I, I Look, I have a very basic principle. You started your YouTube channel. We're also going to plug it over here. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> uh, for me, if somebody um, calls me a liar, as you were talking earlier, mm -hmm. then I'll, I'll block you because I have no interest in discussing with you. Right. Um, if I say I'm not a paid uh, shill, well, I'm not a shill, <laughs> And you say that I am, then I'm blocking you. I have no interest in discussing with you. I'm not. Can you be a shield mind. without being paid? Uh, I guess you can. I guess you can. But it, basically, the way that I understand that is you're 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 going, you're failing to see things and only presenting a one side. I don't think that that's what I am. Um, I see bad things and I talk about bad things, but. I try to understand them. I try to understand why these bad things are happening. Um, so talking about blocking people, that's uh, one thing. How many? If you call me a lot. Pff, what do you know, think? Probably 200, 300. Okay, okay. Um, or if people 
just use curse words if they they start calling me names or whatever then like i i, I treat it as my my mental garden but okay so i know you personally <laughs> and i know you're not and i know you now and i believe you and but is it possible that there are foreigners in china that really uh deserve to be accused uh being a there are foreigners who are employed I and mean, there's a guy in guangzhou cgtn there are many foreigners employed yeah. by the media. Um, the, there's quite a few people employed in Beijing in Chinese media, but they, they have a job right, because right. they're qualified in media, they're qualified in mass communications or whatever that is. But I would say actually, even... This guy from Guangzhou, sorry, he, he was actually, he plays an advertisement on YouTube for his channel. Right. He just started a channel recently and he... Ah, hey, already, I know who. He yeah. also interviewed Peleg, the yeah, consul, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, British guy. Yes. Right. right. But no, I would go, I would press a bit harder and say, that's not what I mean. Mm. I know people that edit for the Global Times or whatever, yeah, you know. working for that. It's yeah. very boring, they say, you know, they have to follow certain lines. And But um, I would say, no, really, what do these keyboard warriors accuse people like you? Um, that thing they, they specifically mean, is it possible there are foreigners that are just that? It could be, right? It's possible. But I have absolutely right. no I don't evidence, know. I also, no evidence I, I, to suggest know. it's happening. What do you but think, yes, Fernando? Definitely Look, possible. Uh, within the realm of possibilities, of course, there is a possibility of that. But what do you get in exchange? Money? I mean, I don't know. Um, no, money. Yeah. <laughs> money. I mean, but then you're, you're a paid shill. We were talking about just being called a shill. I mean, I mean if, if, well, if what's I, the definition? <laughs> good question. I mean, <laughs> I write about China. I write mostly positive things about China because it's my experience is mostly positive. Right. It's not a hundred percent positive, and where something is bad, I'm quite happy to put that out there. Uh, there. But maybe you're not that kind of person, right? You don't look for the bad I things. I don't look for the you bad things. Positive, uh, so. and, and certainly in the last two or three years, I've become a lot more tolerant. Mm, um, yes. Uh, I studied a little bit of Chinese culture. I did right. a master's degree, studied Chinese culture. And um, it means that I'm, I, I know absolutely nothing. I'm an expert on what I don't know. That's really what how <laughs> Chinese culture is. Uh, it is so deep and so misunderstood right, right. that there's a lot more to do. I happen to have the best culture teacher who mm. is really diplomatic, and she has a good way of telling me that I'm wrong in such a way <laughs> does that I... Does it happen I, a lot, then? Yeah, it does. You're telling me, you're telling me he's, he's wrong? Yes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I argue. Yeah. Can you give me an example? <laughs> <laughs> I would ask in an interview for the magazine that kind of question. You don't have to. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we best not go down that track. We don't actually argue. Because most well, of the time when she says something, I say, you've got a point. And she does. She's always got a valid point. And I accept it. I honestly argue with my wife a lot about mm -hmm. China. My wife is American. Um, but uh, uh, I find that she, she doesn't fully understand the culture in a sense that will make her understand and, and be more you know, patient with things that, uh, yeah. that are just, you could say, annoying. You said before, you, you're more tolerable. Tolerant. I mean, tolerant, like you're yeah. tolerant, you know, it's... Even the way you drive, you know, for example, you know, by now we probably just, I just ignore it. I'm yeah. fine. Oh, I ride a bike, I don't drive. <laughs> but it can be also quite, yeah. uh, quite Scary. difficult. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes Jerry said, oh, when we go to the restaurant and eat and say, oh, look at those people, why be so loud, right? Right. There are things that, that are there that happen that bother you, but you're like, 
yeah. Usa. For example, for me, the the the, the smoking in in front smoking. of a non-smoking yeah. sign, like yeah. Yeah. Why? right, right, why? why? Yes, why? Uh, throwing the garbage yeah, from the window of the car. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Most most of the things that annoy people about China are actually personal habits. The the the, the spitting, the littering, the, the smoking, the loudness. They're personal habits, and and if you talk to a Chinese person, they'll always say the same thing. They're un uneducated right, people. Right, right. Well, I can tell you, professors are doing it. Right, but honestly, <laughs> honestly speaking, it's gotten so much better. It has. Like 10, 15 years ago, oh, yeah. I would see all the time a yeah. tissue goes out of a car window. Yeah, yeah. And now, no. I hardly see yeah. it. It does happen, but it's a lot less. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. And I had to tell a foreigner the other day not to flick his cigarette. Oh, foreigners do that, yeah. yes. Yeah. And he said, look, look out there. That he, he was flicking a cigarette out. And I said, stop. Uh, look. It is all dry tinder out there. It's, we live on the side of a mountain. He was flicking a cigarette out of the window. And that's and a bigger disappointment, right? Yeah. Because it's supposed he's a to... Because and he should know better. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Why don't we move into cycling? Okay. Cycling. Um, were you a cyclist before? I no. mean, did you cycle in Australia? No. I've had bikes. As a kid, I had bikes, but uh -huh. I'm not a cyclist as such. Uh, I would guess before I came to China, my longest journey was probably about 30, 40 miles. At one point, did you discover butt cream? Uh, just before you say <laughs> this, before you say this, I want to tell the audience. I heard somewhere how many kilometers you've done by now on in bikes China? in China? Uh, more than 30, 40,000, yeah. you said or something? Yeah, more than 20,000, probably less than 30. Wow, yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you can, yeah. no. Um, well, so you got into into cycling just to lose weight, or? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I. You can see, I put on weight, I have a round shape, I drink a lot of beer, I enjoy a, a beer with my mates in the evenings or the afternoons, and, and, and it goes straight to the waistline, and uh, I turned 50, and I was conscious of the fact that my grandfather, my mother's father, had his first heart attack when he was in his 50s. My mother had heart condition angina in her 50s, and I could see myself going in the same direction because I had the same body shape. My mum mm. is a little round. My my mum's father was a little round, and and, and I, she the genes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can say genes, and and I and I'm I find that's a lazy answer. It's <laughs> you you may be genetically predisposed, but if you're lazy, you let it go that way. Mm. And I decided one day, and I came out of the shower one day, having looked at myself in the mirror, and I said. To, I said to Anne, I'm going to ride a bike to Tibet. And her answer was, you haven't got a bike. <laughs> well, and that made sense too, because yeah. she often makes Very sense. Very practical. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I went out really literally a few days later and I bought myself a, a Merida bike and I started riding to and from the school I was working at at the time. And I mean, that ride was eight kilometers and it nearly killed me the first couple of days. And then I can remember after a few weeks, I, I built up and I got my first 50 kilometer day. Wow, I got a 50 kilometer day. Uh, my record now is 234 kilometers in one day. Uh, and we've done 100 kilometers plus so regularly, it's not worth counting anymore. Uh, 120, 120, 120, 130 a couple of times. The longest ride we've ever done, I think is about 134 mm. together. So you, you, you bought a Merida? Yeah, um, just a normal road, uh, hybrid mountain road. Do bike. you get like hybrid. all the gear and you got like... Not the, really. The, the... Um, I, I didn't get bike pants and I uh -huh. have never had butt cream, but I have had problems. <laughs> um, I've still got scar tissue if you want to check it out later. <laughs> um, the, the, the worst time I had that was with, a, with an ill-fitting pair of bike pants. And I, I, I'm not really comfortable mm. with bike pants all the time, but on the long journeys we wear them. Um, because you are literally in the saddle for five hours a day. 
uh, and it, it's necessary. You do have to have the, the padding there. But generally speaking, yeah, you go through it quite quickly. It's first few days, and, and you build up. By the time I got on that long journey, I had already done a few hundred kilometer days. I was doing 20 to 30 kilometers a day going to and from work. Uh, and, you know, I was, I was doing stuff every day on the bike. So the more time in the saddle, the less problem. You what have. do you do on the bike? Sure. You listen to music? Uh, books. It's not safe. I don't know. I, I listen to books a lot. I used to. You listen to books? Yeah, uh, audio, audible books, yeah. And, and, uh, enjoy the scenery? Yeah, I just enjoy the scenery. Quite often I don't have anything. Uh, when we were riding, um, Anne listens to music a lot. She's, uh, she has a... I can't keep them in. You know, these earbuds that... that yeah, yeah, wireless yeah, yeah. buds, I can't keep the things in. So I've got these things that clip over the ear yeah. and they look quite uh, old, old-fashioned. old I, I don't like to listen to anything when I'm riding because... It is quite dangerous to, yeah. to traffic. Yeah. Well, it may get boring. Some people would say. I, I think the thing about your your philosophy is right. The fact is, you you can't hear it coming. Death's going to come at you from behind, and you're not going to hear it. <laughs> I wanted so. to I wanted to talk about um, all the gear that you carry with you. Yeah. Because um, do you guys tend? You camp and you carry a yes. tent. You carry water. You carry. Yes. You uh, you showed a short video with I don't know like five or six different. Bottles yeah. hanging from your handlebar. Yeah, she had food, I had water. <laughs> so you have how much weight do you have on you on your bike? About the same weight as her. Yeah. <laughs> so you have extra. Uh, Anne actually carries the same weight as me as well. So I mean, basically, she, you have an extra person when you. Yeah, when you. Uh, it's, it's probably about 35, 40 kilos. It's mm, okay. not quite as. She's, she's <laughs> not, not a full. Pack, I have yeah. facial mask. Yeah, she has to have the, the face cream. cream. Oh really? <laughs> oh yeah, the sunscreen. sunscreen. When yeah, you're driving yeah. through the yeah, desert, you literally, you will literally just burn to a frazzle yeah, if you yeah, don't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all the yeah. outside. But um, I mean, when you when you start, you start from Zhongzhang, right? Okay. What ha I mean, like, where do you get to the end of the first day, and what do you do? You just uh, set up a tent. Where? No, no. You most of the time you're in hotels, big okay. cheap hotels. Most. So of the you time. find them on the way, yeah, or you're on the phone yeah, never before. Book ahead just in no. case something happens and you can't make it. Uh, when you get out beyond, if you're going from the south to the to the northwest, mm -hmm. you you go quite a way beyond Xi'an before you get a, even an opportunity to camp. Mm -hmm. There, are, there are. Every piece of land, industrial, residential, um, commercial, every piece of land has been used or it's a mountain like that and you're not going to use it. Uh, so you're not going to sleep there. Uh, so there really isn't an opportunity this side of Xi'an if you're traveling those long distances. Um, Thank you. I did an interesting thing in 2018. I was... It's okay. We'll get it. Thank you. Thank you. In 2018, I, I, I did a short-term contract up in uh, Harbin, just two weeks working, and they flew me to Harbin, and I said, don't fly me back, give me the money. And I went to a bike shop, and I bought a bike and rode home from Harbin. That was a 42-day ride home from work. Wow. Uh, but I didn't <laughs> buy a tent. I took with me everything that I needed. I had the biking gear with me in my panniers. I didn't take a suitcase. I took panniers. And so when I got on the plane, I had two panniers mm -hmm. for, the, for the back of the bike. What, what are the difficulties? I mean, to me, it sounds crazy, but you, you're, you're talking about it like it's nothing. It, is, it I actually mean, is what nothing. are the difficulties that you may encounter? I don't know. I mean, punctures. first of all, it's hard. It's, punctures. I mean, punctures, okay. <laughs> Lots of punctures. So what do you do? You fix it yourself? Or? I have no choice. Yeah. Change right. tires yeah. in yeah. cold days. Oh yeah, yeah. When it's really cold and the fingers aren't working properly, it's really difficult to change a tire. Right. Um, and and you've got no choice. It could be slashing down with rain, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and you've just got to change it. And I do always it. think about like um, bringing spares for everything. For example, yeah. what happens if your change breaks? I have a spare chain. 
So I carry one. Between the three of us, we had a spare for everything, mm. and uh, we did use it, didn't we? So once you use a spare, you'll find the next find day the next, some. Next, yeah, next okay. time. Well, it's I not see. always the next day, but as soon but as possible. As soon as you yeah, can. You don't get bike shops everywhere. But yeah. What uh, are the reactions on the way? Like, I would assume most people see a foreigner on a bike, uh, they don't know you just uh, did 20 days straight on the bike. Yeah, they, you they can just, tell. You can usually ah, tell yeah. that we've been. <laughs> the reactions are great. It's not just about being a foreigner. Uh, sometimes they don't even know we're foreigners. We, we'll be riding along. This has happened to us. You've got the face mask on, you've oh, got the sunglasses, the helmet. And, and so, you know, we might be nothing's visible they don't know we're foreigners mm. um, and sometimes people cars will pull alongside you and the windows will open and someone will just hand you a can of Red Bull or something mm. like that that yes. happens quite yes. often on places where it's not like just not in the town centers like no when you're out right. on the road up in places like Gansu between cities can be 200 kilometers you know there's fair distances and that's where you have to camp because you can't do 200 kilometers in a day generally I've done it, but you've got to have the following wind and things. But sometimes it can take you three days with the winds up there. If the wind mm. is against you, it's really tough riding, really tough. Sandstorms. Yeah, uh, yeah, we've been lucky. We haven't had a sandstorm. But yeah, in fact, I did have a sandstorm um, on the first trip. We were actually in Turpan and we were planning to leave the next morning. And we we're staying in a hostel. And the guy said, you're not going to leave tomorrow morning. There's a sandstorm coming through. Really? And he said, yeah. I wouldn't even suggest you leave the building. So if you want to get some food and stuff, and so we did. We went out shopping, brought some stuff in. And literally the next morning, it was like being dark all morning. And when, when the, the sun finally came out again, we went outside. There's a carpet of sand everywhere. We couldn't have ridden through it. It would have been impossible. So that's 40, 42 days coming back from work. Yeah. Um, you did it by yourself? Alone? Uh, no, a friend flew up and joined me. So like, do you speak any Chinese? A little. A little bit. Idiot, so enough yeah. to get yeah. by on oh, yeah, this I kind of... Get, I can get directions. Uh, if you I would want... assume that some places on this kind of trip would have no people with Correct. English skills. Yeah, yeah. Right. so you, you need to get by. I Is mean... there a community of bikers that do this kind of crazy things? You always meet people on the road. Yeah, we've met lots of people. We're still in touch. Oh, Anne is still in touch with some people. There's not a foreign community in China doing it, as far as I'm aware. Um, but there are people who've done what I've done or what we've done. There are quite a few people who have vlogged and written about it. Um, so, yeah, there is a community of cyclists. There's a lot of cyclists travel around the world, and they, they kind of end up coming through China and, and following similar route, maybe going into Mongolia as well. But if you want to come through China, you pretty much have to come the same route we did. There's different roads you can take, but the, the direction and the route, there's only one way to come from the west of China to the east. Do you, do you guys the see the road. story yeah, of the, the Dongguan the father, father mm. who Oh yes, oh, what a great story, it's yes. beautiful, yeah. 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 daughters. Oh yeah, that was an amazing story. I mean, a lot of people have posted that to me. Mm -hmm. I've seen it, uh, I've been posted that many times. Have you seen this guy? He did what you did. No, he didn't, he did much better. Yeah. <laughs> did you have any, uh, so these kind of journeys, and you, you've done it more than once, uh, long journeys on uh, I've done th I've done three journeys. Anne's done one and her walk. And yeah. uh, do you get sponsor for this kind of journey? The other than charity, even no, like a no. bike company one. Well, no, we the, the sponsor that we had on this last trip, we did have the bike sponsored, but he didn't actually. It wasn't a bike company. We did try, uh, but we have one company, Vorder, the German company that do um, mountaineering and cycling gear. 
and they provide us with uh, all of our panniers, our wet weather gear, amazing stuff, and water. Right. Um, so, yeah, they and they're in Shenzhen and sorry, not in Shenzhen, they're in, in Guangzhou. And when we went to meet them, they were just like, "Well, what do you need? What what else can we give you? Is there anything else?" And said, "Well, what do you want from me? Uh, a couple of hundred photographs would be great." And that's all we provided to them, and a couple of the bike points. is in, in an area. Well, yeah, the, the bike fully kitted up with yeah. uh, with the Vorda gear on, and I tell you, their gear is good. We're still using it. I actually bought some of their gear when I came back from the first ride. I went to their shop and they gave me a, a very substantial discount because it's very expensive, but it's really worth it. It will last your lifetime. And they gave me a good discount and I bought some of their gear and that was for my own personal use. I've still got some of the original gear and we've still got some from the... the third. I'm still wearing a t-shirt on a regular basis that they gave me in 2014. Mm. Somebody wanted to do... Sponsor. Sorry, bike was sponsored by Star by Rapid. Guys, if you want to uh, take a slice, even well, while we're doing this, this going to be you want to wait? Yeah, okay. 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 If if you could give somebody some advice, somebody who wanted to do this right around China, mm -hmm. um, what would be some pointers that you would give them? I mean, logistically speaking, uh, you need you need to be able to put a hundred kilometers in on a bike and then back it up the next day. Mm -hmm. So if you can't do 100 kilometers mm -hmm. on a bike today and 100 tomorrow, you're not ready to do this. No, uh, they can ride slowly and just a longer time. Not once you get it. No, not oh, not in desert. Not not once you out out. Mm -hmm. You can use the ride to train you. So, for example, if you started in Zhongshan and you wanted to ride as far as Shaolan, which is the northern suburbs, is 25 kilometers or so. So you could do that, and then the next day you could ride into. Um, uh, Pan Yu, which would be 30 or 40 kilometers. Then the next day you could ride you in. Yeah, you, you could use the ride to train you. But effectively, if you're going out into the desert area, if you can't do 100 kilometers today and 100 kilometers tomorrow, it's going to kill you. Literally, so what do you need? You. you need to be in shape? Relatively in shape. You need, to be, you need to be able to put five hours a day in the saddle. What about the danger of the roads? You're going to get used to it. No yeah. water. Yeah, well, water. No shops, no yeah. shops to Sorry? Wild animals. <laughs> no. Cars. <laughs> Cars, Cars, trucks. trucks. The, the one thing I found about trucks in China, surprisingly, is that the drivers are really professional. The, the truck drivers the tend to give you a lot of space. They'll let you know they're there. I think, they're, I think me as a driver, uh, bikes always scare me. Like, I really... You pay attention to the people on bicycles. What's he gonna do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. with Chinese, yeah. I don't want to hurt anyone yeah. with bicycles. Um, we're kitted up and we look like real bikers. You know, we're right. wearing the helmet, wearing right, the gloves, right. wearing the proper gear. You're on a bike that's got gear on it. People know that you are not you granny doing? going to the market. You know, these, these grannies going to the market, and they they're the ones you have no idea. They're just going to turn left because the market's that way without ever thinking about it because. They've done that every day since they were 10, and, and now they're 17, still doing it. And since you, we mentioned before, you walked, right? Yes. Uh, so you biked and you walked uh, yes. to Beijing from Chongshan, yes. right? What's harder? <laughs> uh, I would say the walk is harder than the, the ride. For example, when we on the bike, we went to uh we, we we finished the day's riding right and then find a find a place to search for a hotel if the hotel is not there maybe close down or won't we can take just you. we can just ride then, yeah. maybe five more minutes and you can find another hotel but for walking it's not we carry all our luggage our gears it's by ourselves. five 
five minutes on bike is one hour for walk. You know, mm, too mm. hard. Maybe we need to walk for another. Tell them what happened to your foot. To find another. You hurt yourself. Uh, I, no, I basically I have blisters mm. every day. Of course. Maybe about now. 15 days she without her own blisters. Toenail out. And every day mm. That's what happens when you when you yeah yeah, yeah the, the toe two toenails. I have a similar experiences in the yeah, army. It, when you walk, it's moving. It hurts. So, so, yeah. So how many how many how far did you walk daily like every day kilometers? Uh, twenty five to thirty. Every day. Yes, every day. Uh, we walk five six days and I would one day rest. To and, be and, your and WeChat walking group. How 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 fast <laughs> there do is you no walk? WeChat walking group. <laughs> like on that kind of trip, do you walk? How fast do you do it? Like uh, you do twenty five kilometers a day. And how many hours is that? It's not parachute regiment yomping, you know. It's not yeah, but bad. I didn't walk it's, to Beijing too, you know, uh, to Jerusalem. I did. Normally, we start at about thirty-nine and then finish six, five, six. Mm. But depends. It depends on you usually where. Stop for, you know, because sometimes we stop at eight people, eight p.m. because there's no place for us to stop at all, and mm. we have to keep walking yeah. to find out. Do you? I mean, you can't walk on highways, so you always need to take like the yeah. smaller, really yeah, use, roads. Use GPS. I do. I do map. Uh -huh. yeah, we can't so ride on the highways. Often either. lead us so you can into say the no mountains. highways or something. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no toll roads. We right. walk many mountains. What are wow. some of those incredible things that you saw in Xinjiang? I mean, mm. all in your in your riding. What's something that amazes you? Probably oh, everything in Xinjiang is amazing, Xinjiang isn't it? Yeah, it's just mm -hmm. no. I haven't. I mean, as I said, we were not allowed to keep going west. Over the doorstep. Yeah. Yeah. So, we got to a place where we're like 100 kilometers from the border of Xinjiang and kept going to Guangzhou. So you're near, near Dunhuang, so you yeah. went to Xinjiangsha probably. Mm. Yeah. Um, literally, it, it's not just Xinjiang. The whole northwest of China is an amazing place. The mountains, the, the, the hills, the deserts, the, the everything is and just... how quickly it changes. Uh, not you in have, the desert, it doesn't, sand. on a bike. <laughs> well, well, in a bike is a lot slower. But you got this sand, and you got these boulders, and you got these mountain rocks, and you got these cliffs, and yeah. then this desert again, and then this green... and Grasslands, like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But for me, one of the things that I really, really stuck in my head is the amount of uh, wind power towers. Yes. Oh, yeah, for oh. miles and miles and miles, yeah. I think um, I saw... Wind turbines. We saw at least a hundred trucks carrying those wings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They are investing enormously yeah. Yeah. in this form yeah. of energy. There's, uh, there's a road when you're coming out of Urumuchi and you get on this road and you start riding. And when you're riding, you're literally riding 20, 25 kilometers an hour, depending on the wind. But you know, 20, let's say 22 kilometers an hour is about the average. And you'll be riding for hour after hour after hour, and it's just wind turbines, yeah. wind turbines, wind wow. turbines. When you get into Gansu, there is more of them. I mean, literally, you, you can, there, as far as the eye can see, uh, then you get into the desert and there's none of them. There's nothing in the desert at all, nothing. The only place that you can get some shade when you're cycling through the desert is if a truck's broken down. Mm. We would use the opportunity of a broken down truck to get the shady side of it, sit down, lean up against the, the, mm. the tire of the truck, drink some water, eat some food, boil up some noodles or something. Is it very difficult uh, riding and walking mentally? Uh, to me, walking would be not, harder. Not but you've done it bad. with people, right? Always, with yeah, other yeah, people. Yeah. You the think walk. if you do it alone, maybe it's like... 
I've done some fairly lengthy distances alone. I mean, I've, I've ridden from Jongsan to Huadu, Jongsan to Jiangmen. For days. Yeah, 100 plus kilometers. Mm-hmm. I actually like it. When you're riding in, in groups, you tend not to ride together. You ride at your right. own pace. Um, give her two cups of coffee and, and then try catching up. She's just a, she's a rocket. Yeah. And, and um, the other guy, Bevan, who, who rode with us, uh, was a little older than me and a little slower than us. And uh, we tended to get to a point where we would stop and we'd have a 20-minute break, wait for him to catch up. And occasionally, he's way out in front. You get different days where one rider is stronger and you very rarely actually ride together. You start mm-hmm. off together. And then you just get to your own pace, and, and that's what you do. And then you meet in the end of the day. Well, you're, you're coming together several times during the right, day. Right. Uh, you know, quite often, I, I wouldn't get out of sight. When, when Anne was riding behind me, I would try and get to a point where I'd see be in front. If I, can, if I turn around and can't see her, I'm going to stop and wait. Right. She might have a puncture right. or something, need some, some help doing something. But I was always fairly confident that uh, Bevan would be behind. So it wasn't like she was uh, on her own most of the time. So you said that uh, there was charity involved, right? We yeah. spoke about it a little bit before, but like, in what way did you, how did you get the money in regards to, oh, how pe- do you raise it? Um, people gave us donations through WeChat okay. for a start. Just Some like you, you published your journey yeah. and, uh, and say that uh, we're doing it for charity. Yeah. And that, is that how it works? Yeah, but the major part is from the uh, charity party. Yeah. After we finish the ride, we have a party. Ah, in the end. So how do you get people? Like there is, uh, there's just communities that yes, you know. Yeah. We we know we've we've been around Jongsan for a long time. Uh, it it really started off with the foreign community. So you do it in back in Jongsan, you mean? Not yes. like yeah, in, yeah, back in Jongsan. Yeah. Ah, so when you come back, you do that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah we're not okay. collecting money I see, in I Xinjiang. See. I see. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Xinjiang has its own need for charity that doesn't need us. To, well, doesn't need us to help, but it's uh, right, not something we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Is we, that is that is that? Are you planning to do another big big uh, ride? To somewhere, what's, what's, maybe to a different what's in place. The, in the future for you. To Hainan, it's not that far. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. One of the things I'd like to do personally is a personal thing. I'd like to circum circumnavigate Taiwan. I believe that's a really nice ride. I've heard mm. lots of Taiwan. good things about that. Yeah. Yes, my it, wife did three thousand kilometers on a bike yeah, in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. And and I've heard that lots of good things about yeah. that. Hainan is a possibility. Um, I, I don't know, Yunnan I want to go Yunnan to should very be nice, much, but right, I think yeah. Yunnan might be a little mountainous and I'm not mm. really that keen on doing mm. any more serious mountain riding. But you can walk. <laughs> she can walk. <laughs> she can walk, yeah. I, I'm not going to be into that. Well, it kind of inspires me, the whole thing, Fernando, honestly. I mean, uh, I kind of want to say, oh, that sounds like cool, I should do that, but I probably won't do it. Well, <laughs> you, you really just need a couple of things. If, if you've got a bike, most people have a bike or access to a bike. can do it with a shared one. No, (laughs) that's actually a bit of a challenge. I I wouldn't mind doing something like that, taking one of these, the old Ofo bikes and and taking one of those and going from one town to the next and and picking up a new bike. Yeah, Yeah, it might be a bit of an interesting challenge. Um, But yeah, if you've got a bike, if you've got free time, you you need to have free time. You need to have free time. And you just need to have the will to do it because Mm. it is really easy to give up. Uh, I think... On each of the three rides that I've done, there's been days where I say, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. There's been moments where I just wish today was done. But there's never been a moment where I've said, I don't want to be doing this. I want to stop. There's mm-hmm. never been a moment where I say, let's just find this train station and go home. Never. No. There is a competitive spirit. Any- I'm not sure that it is. I think I don't want to let you felt the same thing. Mm-hmm. We don't let anyone else down. We're doing this publicly usually, and I remember the first guy I rode with, an Irish guy called Phil, uh, Phil Bean, he's back in Ireland now, 
And we got into Hunan from Guangdong. We got into Hunan, and he said, it's our, it's our second province. I said, yeah, no one can say we didn't try. And he said, I was just thinking the same thing. And then when we got from Hunan and we crossed the river and we were in Hubei, he said, Jerry, we're halfway across China. Well, not quite, Phil, but at least if, if we give up now, no one can say we didn't give it a, a good shot. And we were still saying the same thing when we arrived in Xinjiang. When we arrived in Xinjiang, we're still more than a thousand kilometers, 12 or 1800 kilometers from Urumuchi. But okay. we're in Xinjiang. Jerry, mm. so we're back, and uh, sorry to have cut you so abruptly, okay, but no we had the 30-minute limit on this uh, tiny little DSLR cameras. Um, well, look, I want to really, on behalf of uh, Ziv and myself, thank you very much for coming to see us here in Dongguan. Oh, it's thank a you. long journey. Um, we also want to thank you for sharing all your stories and for helping us to, to get this message that we want to get out uh, about what life is like in China. It's not... Um, it's quite different from what it is portrayed out in the West. So, um, from my part, I want to thank you for coming and sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah, much. Jerry, mm -hmm. thank you for uh, coming in and thank you and for coming well. today from Zhongshan. I'm surprised you didn't ride a bike, but uh, <laughs> next but, time, you know, maybe you can go back with a shared bike. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's thinking. He's thinking. There is a ferry from Dongguan to Nansha. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Done that. Yeah, and uh, it was really interesting uh, to know your story and. I hope you continue to, to tell the world your truth, the way you see it. It is, it is you know? how we see it. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily a truth, it's our truth. It's, it's your truth, yeah. you know, it's kind of like what I, I try to, to do with Fernando, you know, it's our truth, what we see here. And, you know, uh, being positive people, I think, focusing on good things, I totally get that, you know, mm. why uh, bring us down. And uh, hope to continue following you on Twitter and uh, YouTube, everywhere you are. Okay, thank the you. same thank with you. us at, of course, China. You can hit the subscribe button, you can hit the bell button, and you can also follow us on the uh, social media that you see posted down here. And, well, until we see you guys again, this was, of course, China. Bye, guys.